<laughs> What's going on, Ram? Nothing in my um, sitting here enjoying brunch on a Thursday with you, actually. Right. And it's, it's amazing. I'm at... <sighs> Cindy, we had our first episode. Mm-hmm. Like, what? We had an episode. First episode... And it was amazing. Literally, I, so many people have been just commenting back on our, our stuff. And it's been like, just great reviews. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that's tuned in so far. Man, the feedback that y'all have been giving us, truly appreciative. Um, all the people that tuned in, thank you. We appreciate you. We doing this for you. <laughs> <laughs> and last time we wasn't sipping tea on Peachtree, but this time we really are sipping tea on Peachtree while doing the podcast. Do you, do you want to cheers to that? Do Absolutely. Come on, because we had one episode. Let's get it. Ooh. Hold on, I'm going to have a little bit. And who does brunch on a Thursday? I guess we do. I guess we do. It's like a sex in the city moment. It really is. Because we're in the city. <laughs> on Peachtree. Wow. So, I guess we would say welcome back. We've never even gotten this far in, like, the plans. Like, we've never even thought of, like, episode two or anything along those lines. So, welcome back. Our first episode, by the way... Was a test episode. We was never supposed to release it. We were just supposed to test it, and yeah. we we just thought we just, just to put it we out. Liked it. <laughs> we liked it and was like, we wouldn't mind y'all hearing our conversation. Mm-hmm. So today we want to talk about, um, I guess, the point of view of a mixed person and a black person. Uh, well, fully black, I guess. So, I guess, what was it like growing up, like, for you? Mm. Well, um, such a loaded question. (laughs) 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 Um, growing up was unique. Being that I have a black father, white mom, Mm -hmm. um, and going through life always feeling like um, it was never bought. Actually, I wasn't made aware that I was mixed. Like, I didn't didn't really fully aware that I was mixed until I came of age. And that's where I think, like, children are taught color. Mm -hmm. Because, honestly, as a little kid, everybody's like, at that point, I don't know what people are saying. They could be just in my face and whatnot, but it's not until I came to age to realize that, hey, uh, we're in a colored society. Like, it's a very black and white situation. With me being from the South, with both my parents being from the South, mom's from Decatur, dad is from North Carolina. Oh, come on, East Saturday. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. 
That's why she got she got that Eastside glow to her. That Ooh. picture that I posted of her. Yep. So pretty. She does yep. not look fifty years old. She does. <laughs> I said, Mama got her groove back. But um, just growing up was again. I wasn't aware of what I was going through until I came of age and everything was brought to light. Um, just saying this, like, I don't really prefer speaking to my mom's side of the family because there's a lot of deep-rooted racism in it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy because my mom's side, even though my mom is not, um, the majority of my mom's side of the family is like Trump supporters. They they don't see eye to eye, and they live in a big city too. They live in Tampa, so you would think like, but then again, it is Florida, so <laughs> um, it's weird. And then nowadays, it's just wow, yeah. <clears throat> How was it for you growing up? Black. <laughs> wait, wait. That really sounded loaded. Um, I guess for me, it wasn't really growing up black, but growing up dark skin. That's what I meant to say, black and dark. No, I'm. It's all the same. Um, number one, kids are evil. Mm. Um. They would always say to me, like, uh, we not going to play hide and seek with you because we know you're going to win. What? Dark, nighttime. No, no, no. I get uh, it, uh, but uh, what the <laughs> hell? I was like, you didn't get it. <laughs> or another one is, every time you get in the car, the um, oil change light will come on. Another dark skin. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Mm. Along with a couple other things, and um, I feel like, like the Trayvon Martin speech that moms felt like they had to give their kids. I got that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't something new for me. Mm. It was always like, you know, when you when you leave this door, right? Just know you are one of them. They not gonna <clears throat> they're not gonna see you like as my precious baby or anything like that. I see you guys and this is a six year old. Like I have <laughs> bruh, six years old. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty much how it was. It was just really. So you're an innocent child that has to be given this guilty speech about reality. Right. Our fairy tale doesn't. Like, it stops. As soon as you get it, it's ripped from you. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> wow! <Sorry. laughs> loaded question, loaded answer. Loaded. Boom. <laughs> okay, so I guess 
my question for you is, what was it like going around your dad's side of the family and your mom's side of the family? Well, my um, my dad's side of the family. Uh, so first off, a lot of people don't know this, but mom and dad was 21 years apart when they conceived me. And I don't know if that would be proper to say, but yeah, they have. Me. Well, you just said it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you were very proper in what you said, so it's properly said. So they were 21 years apart when they conceived me. And literally, like, my mom, my dad's side of the family is older than my mom's side. And it's, it's weird because it's like, my uncles and aunts, they vary, they variate in uh, um, ages, like 30, 40 years sometimes. Honestly, not, not 40, 20, 20, 30 at the most. Um, and just growing up around them and going to Christmas with them and whatnot was always in amazing experience because again they were from the country and oh my gosh that's where I got my country roots so I didn't get it from my mom's side of the family I got, actually got it from my dad because they're from Lauringburg, North Carolina and um, as I became of age and, and being around them my uncle would explain to me a lot about what they had to go through growing up like my dad he was um, he worked for the corner and they used to live in this shack. And this shack wasn't the most stable or sturdy thing. And um, they used to pick cotton as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I take that, like, I think about that. And that makes me even more prideful as a black person. A black, yeah, not even a black person living in a mixed individual's bodies, but I'm very aware of my pride and my culture um, of being black. And um, when I heard what my dad had to go through um, just to even, like they all they all lived in one house and the house was small and five or, no, 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 seven people living in a house. Um, seven people picked to live in a house together. Yes. <laughs> Real world. Keep going. Yeah, and it's crazy because it's kind of like my mom and dad grew up from um, different sides of the spectrum. Both struggled, not even given that, because honestly, uh, not, I meant, my mom's side isn't, uh, it's just, it's white privilege that exists. It's no, I don't want to say it's, it's no wealth, but there's very little wealth. So both sides of the family are, uh, are they know what it feels like to come uh, from in life bottom, yeah. from the bottom. But the the mom, my mom's side of the family is crazy because it's just like privilege helped them get even further in life. Versus my dad's side of the family, with them being um, black and also dark skinned, because the only person that was light skinned on my 
dad's side of the family was my uh, aunt, and she lives in New York. But it's crazy with that as well. And I, I've never had that conversation with my aunts and uncles about being dark-skinned, but I guess they were just happy to get through, um, happy to get through the life that they did live because they also went through uh, Jim Crow era and everything else. So, yeah. And my, my aunt, she went to Stillman. Shout out to Stillman, um, which is down the street from uh, University of Alabama. And she used to tell me uh, she would go to her internship or uh, practicum, not practicum. Yeah, she was in school to be a teacher. Yeah, she would walk home from her job and she would be scared to go home. And she lived on campus, but she specifically told me that the Ku Klux Klan used to ride through their campus all the time. What? I know, crazy. Right. So you could be doing your homework and minding your business while in school, and you got the KKK riding right by your dorm and putting fear in everyone. That's so crazy. It it is crazy, and I I'm so glad that she told me that story because I never knew that happened. I never knew that happened back in the day. And maybe she's telling me that about one college campus, maybe they did that many in the right. South. Cause who the, the Who was gonna stop them back then? Nobody. Right. And the reason why I think they did it is because they knew that we were getting the education and they were trying to stop us from getting further. Yeah. So learning how to read, learning how to do math learning how to um, get a degree so you could so you could at least get to the table. And even when you get to the table, that's a whole different conversation because based on your race, even though every company has a policy against race, it's like when you are black, you have to prove yourself three, four times harder than white counterparts. To get not even the same wage, to get even the fraction of a wage. So, yeah. And I guess speaking on, like, uh, advantages and things of that sort, how do you see yourself? Like, where do you, where, where would you say you fit in, like? So, I, um... Oh, wow. Loaded questions. Okay. Boom. Boom. <laughs> um, I see the good in every good or bad situation. I see the good and bad in every person. Um, I'm sorry. I see the good in every person, whether good or bad person. And um. It's crazy because nowadays, one thing, like, I'm, I used to be told that I wasn't black enough to speak on black issues, even during Black Lives Matter, and that doesn't, it sounds crazy, but, um. Somebody really said that to you? Yeah. That sucks. And we know this person. 
Do we? Absolutely. Oh. So that's that's what my ex told me. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it used to, like, question my identity as a black person. Because it's like, I never pick and choose when to be a black person. I was always a black person and always had pride as a black person. Um, I take pride in being black before I do mixed, honestly. Just because of the weight of white privilege. Mm. Yeah. And honestly, one thing that offends me is whenever I go out in public, I don't get it anywhere else. I get it particularly more in the South because I do travel a lot. But like I'll go into the grocery store randomly and people will just be like, oh my gosh, you have beautiful hair. You have beautiful skin and everything. And while I appreciate the comments, I'm like, is that the only thing that you see? Like, for me, exterior exterior beauty only goes so far in life. It's what's on the inside that really counts. So, that's why when people tell me um, I look exotic or have beautiful hair or whatnot, it's a grain of salt. I don't take it to the head and be egotistical about it. Mm-hmm. I just like, but do you actually see me for who I am because if you if I sat down with you and talked to you there's even a deeper level of appreciation that you would have for me mm. um black people can we please stop wanting like little ma- mixed babies and stuff oh my baby gonna have good hair why can't your baby have good hair and be black right my baby gonna have pretty eyes so brown eyes ain't pretty or nothing. Right. And it can just hurts like Can we um also stop saying you're beautiful to be a dark skinned person? Let me tell you something. All my life, bro, you're handsome for a dark skinned dude. You're handsome for a black guy. What? That <laughs> That I don't is. like no backhanded. <laughs> that make me want to backhand you. Like, I, oh, I cannot stand that, bro. And people still do it. That's not a compliment. It's not. It's really not. It's very degrading, actually. Right. Because you say I'm beautiful, but then beautiful to be a dark-skinned person? Like, what? And even, even when I, like, personally, when I date, I don't, I don't look at skin tone, skin color. If you like me, you like me. I don't care. Like, it's crazy that people have these profiles to fit in. Like, I only date light-skinned people. I only date dark-skinned people. That is so degrading in itself, and... Turn off. <laughs> Turn off, man. This racism inside of racism. I meant racism inside of... Racism inside of a culture that is already oppressed. Yeah. 
I just kind of feel like those people maybe just hate themselves. Mm-hmm. Or they have some type of something missing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Real good on that. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Y'all Lawrence trying to finish chilling. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. We're brunching it up and, and just chatting and it's crazy. Um, yeah. And even going going to HBC Deep Fort Valley State University, by the way. Um, Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> going to an HBC just made me appreciate being a black person even more literally because my last year at Fort Valley I used to speak to other um, other people at HBCUs um, and it was it was great seeing how every HBCU have the same culture to it but different things like one like, I used to have friends at Howard, FAMU, um, Fort Valley, of course. Then I knew some people that wanted to Morehouse and Spelman. And honestly, like, going to a smaller HBCU that wasn't, that wasn't uh, always in the, when you see companies donating to HBCUs, they always donate to the same HBCUs. It's always like Howard, um, Howard, Morehouse, Spellman, big, like big, big, like the crown. I don't even say the crown because I think we're all prestigious and are prestigious in our own ways. But it's very sad that only companies if they if they want to do something great for HBCUs, they only identify five or six. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's many many more, yeah. many many more. Just like when I went to um, when I went to Dallas, um, Paul Quinn College was a very interesting story because they actually they had a Morris Brown. Um, Morris Brown situation to where literally all their money was gone. They started closing up the campus and well, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. They didn't close up the campus. They were on the verge of like everything just completely wiping out going clean and whatnot. And I went down to Paul Quinn for a conference and it was um, it was underneath this Fearless leader, Dr. Crystal uh, Gregory, um, and she went to Fisk University, and she was just telling, um, she was just having a conference on, um, like, HBC stories being told in the appropriate form format, not having people that have never went there tell our stories, because it's not a story then it's a fabricated story and um yeah uh wow no and when i was there literally um 
I even found out that Paul Quinn sits on the other side of the river because that's how the city is segregated. Um, and, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm over here grubbing. Lawrence so cooked good. breakfast. <laughs> Miss Angel. Lawrence <laughs> cooked. <laughs> and it's good. Like, actually good for real. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you, man. Um, and then the other good part about living in Atlanta is that you really get to see how beautiful and expansive the black community can go because Jesus um, because we do have um, black people from all walks of life here and we have um, black people in power um, the mayor and the majority of elected officials in Atlanta Um, but not even that when you go in the perimeter of Atlanta there's a lot of um, black people that hold very important offices. Um, and then we have um, our international black people that come here maybe for school or to pursue a business or anything. Um, and that's great in itself because it's like, we don't always get to see blacks from the South. We get to see, cause Atlanta is a ever evolving Groenland city, I mean, I feel like this city adds a million people to it every day of how crowded we are. Yeah. By the way, if y'all haven't heard it anywhere else, we full. <laughs> yeah. We full, full. Like, we're done. We're done building new buildings. We're done accepting new people. We are full. Go ahead and um uh, do that airport as a... Just um, departures. Just departures, please. You got to land in Alabama and then drive here. Yeah. And then people will change their mind then. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to knock them off or something. (laughs) They making the rent go up and minimum wage is still staggering. (laughs) Just hanging where she at. So, Lawrence, let me ask you one more question. Because I remember saying, like, that thing to your mom. Mm-hmm. What was it like having a Caucasian mom? Or... It was... It's great, honestly. I had to um, literally bring my mom up to speed on a lot of things that's happening in reality right now. Because my mom is also a caretaker of my grandmother. So she... She follows the news, but she doesn't follow it heavily. And she's not, and she doesn't live with her children. So her children are all over. I mean, I'm here in Atlanta. My sister's in Alabama. My brother's in San Diego. Three different walks of life. Literally, I'm in acting and entertainment. My sister. Shout out to the fans. <laughs> shout out to them. Shout out to them. <laughs> My sister uh, is in leasing, and my brother is in the Navy. So it's three different perspectives that she has to see through her lens. And I always try to tell my mom, like, 
anytime your anytime your children speak out against white people, just know that it's not you because we love you as our mom and you love us. And it's great. Um, it's great, but also, and I, I've said this before, but reverse racism kind of hurts even like when the person that it's being done to is a good person. And my mom has specifically told me about incidents where um, during the Black Lives Matter, just black people would just shout out her, shout at her and just be upset. I'm like, mom, just calm down first. You have to realize that we are very tired right now we're we're just tired of waking up and america sees us as a crime just because we're black or colored yeah. as they would say back in the day or maybe you still do, do still do nowadays but all um, i did was be black and woke up that was it and i already committed a crime in america yep. and it's crazy because literally it is more prevalent in the South, but for instance, because I went to California a week ago and then two weeks ago, meant three weeks ago, um, it's a little bit different over there. Now, my, my brother did say that there are still races out there and whatnot, but it's not as prevalent as it is in the South. So, and you can even see that in Atlanta, I meant. It's crazy, and I feel like it, and if y'all want to chime in and correct me, but I feel like the majority of the homeless population here is black. Uh, no, that's 112% true. I really, and that said, waking up, and for me, I know you live on the perimeter of the city, I live inside the city, waking up every day and seeing, like, tons of just black people just homeless, it's like... This city was once ran by us in every single s- sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just taken away from us. Like, I meant gentrification in its finest purpose. And I say that sarcastically. Um, it, it took away the homes of many black people that were already living in the city. And of course... We, we don't have the financial power to fight back and keep our houses right. because whoever did something for us. So, I will say that, honestly, um, I really like the program that Mayor Bottoms did in Atlanta because she made sure that she created a affordable housing initiative. So, mm-hmm. there are certain um, apartments and homes, I think it is homes, but I know it's more so apartments, but there's some that follow, uh, that falls underneath the city of Atlanta workforce program, Mm -hmm. and they cap your rent at a certain, um, certain amount, and it actually helps a lot of people who could not afford that apartment outside of that program, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, 
shout out to Biden for this no eviction thing that he got going on. Because I know folks that's just <laughs> chilling, just mm-hmm. sitting on it. Mm-hmm. I need y'all to leave because I'd like to move soon. Um, <laughs> I'll have this as my <laughs> notice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then also, when I asked you about your mom, I just was thinking about, like, growing up black, I guess, like, six years old, I had responsibilities. Like, I had a house key and, you know, all those things, and you got tow up if you didn't bring the house key home, and everybody got your mom's address now, and... Everybody finna be a stranger in the house and stuff at six. So, also, like, I knew how to cook. (laughs) And I mean, like, cook, cook. Six years old. Hmm. My, um, not more so my dad. Um, because he, when we were younger, my dad was, Still in the military, or maybe retiring, or something. But he, um, no. When we were little, he was a general manager at Hardee's out outside of. So he retired from the military. He went back and worked for Hardee's for a couple of years as general manager. That's when Hardee's had fried chicken that no one seems to remember. Literally, I go to everybody and I tell them, "Do you remember when Hardee's had fried chicken?" And it was so good. Well, you never asked me. Do you remember when Hardy's had fried chicken? No, I do not remember that. They used to come <laughs> in a box with a star on it. It was so good. <laughs> you had to look it up on Google. The chicken was amazing. I, it was better than Popeye's. Wow. Um, <laughs> Loaded answer again. <laughs> but um, he quit working there as a general manager. And um, after that, he started driving buses. So up until, I mean, he he took off because um, he started getting sick right before he passed away. He took a couple of years to himself, but my dad was always the type of person that was always gonna be something. Mm-hmm. Always working, doing some type of yard work, doing something like, crazy and then when I went over to a mom's place my mom didn't have it easy either she always had to um she always had to uh literally work two or three jobs just to get by um I mean it is crazy that she didn't even finish high school. And I, to- I told my mom this all the time, like, don't, you're such an incredible woman for not doing that and still having the influence that you do because literally, like, my mom, my mom used to beat herself over that. And I'm like, mom, you're so great outside of that piece of paper. Nowadays, don't mean shit. Literally, literally, I have a whole bachelor's degree. And I'm still struggling here like the rest of America. <laughs> a bachelor's degree don't mean anything. Like, uh, I'm not saying 
don't go to school, please go to school. But just know, just because you have a piece of paper, it doesn't make you any better than anybody else that doesn't have one. So, it's, it's great to get an education, but yeah, don't use that, don't use that, um, Don't, don't let it use that in determining how you interact or define other people. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, that is going to wrap up this week's episode. I am Marcus D. Rowling. I'm Cindy O. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let's get it right here, Marge. Um You want to redo it? I'm Cindy L. Mirage. Minaj. Minaj. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So, all right, y'all. So, I'm Marcus D. Rowland. Cindy L. Minaj. <laughs> <laughs> and that has been the tea on Peach Street. Peaches out. Woo! Hoo hoo. <laughs>